0: Everybody, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. It's my pleasure to bring the word to you. Before I get started into our sermon this morning, I wanted to make a quick note that over the next three weeks in adult Sunday school class, I've asked Pastor Chris to bring to us a series on stewarding technology in the home. Technology right now is, well, it always will be, I guess, but the power in our technology is immense. And it's on us as parents to learn not only how to wield it to some degree, but also to teach our children to wield that for good. Now, like with any thing that's powerful, it can be used for powerful good, and it can also be used for powerful evil. And so it's incumbent on us as people of faith to wield this tool for God's glory and for his kingdom. And I, for one, am looking forward to what Pastor Chris has for us. I want to be very clear that I asked Pastor Chris to do this, not only for the needs of my family, but for the needs of our church family. And so um, I'm really looking forward to what he has to say, and I hope you'll join us for Adult Sunday School over the next three weeks. Well... Let's turn our attention now to Ephesians chapter 4, but before we get into the study of that this morning, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, give us mercy and grace to know your mind, help us to elevate the things that Christ elevates, and help us to make much of his gifting of us. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, by way of introduction, I have a quick little question for you. When you, for those old married folks out here, when you want to communicate something that's very important to you, to your spouse, how should you do that? There's something that's very important to you, and you need to let your spouse know, how should you do that? I think I've summarized it to to three points and I'd like you to hear my my three points number one you need to communicate it (laughs) now it's it's a little surprising how often we stumble at that very point isn't it there's something that's important to me but I just sort of expect my spouse to read my mind and understand what I've intended and so forth if we need to if we If something is very important to us and we want to communicate it, then we need to say it. The second thing that we need to do besides say it, and I'm I'm seeing some couples nudge each other and smile at each other, so maybe, maybe my marriage isn't the only one that suffered from, well, they should know, they should just know that that's true of me, okay? You have to say it. Number two, you need to contextualize it. Now, that's a fancy way for telling your spouse why it's important to you. Honey, this is important to me, and here are the reasons why this particular thing is important to me. We can't just expect our spouses to give us something because we say we want it. I want it because I want it. That's not good reasoning. We give reasons why and that promotes conversation. And perhaps your spouse sees your heart or perhaps your spouse says, well, if this is the thing you're really after, how about this other thing that might accomplish those purposes even better? And then you get something even better. You get something advanced beyond what you thought you might want. It promotes conversation. There is a third thing though, because so far all we've done is something that a child could communicate to a parent. But we're talking about spouses here. There is a third thing. And the third thing is this. There needs to be some sort of communication with our actions that our words are genuine. Some sort of communication with our actions that our words are genuine. That can be a lot of different things, but let me just give a little example. Let me, let's say that I tell my wife, I say, honey, I I feel like we've been growing apart. It's very important to me that we spend a little more time with each other. I think it will help us grow together. I think it will help our family. I think that's what God wants. You see what I've done? I've communicated. I've given her the why. And she says, yes, I think we should do that. I agree. We need to spend more time with each other. Tomorrow rolls around, and she says, would you like to go to the park and take a walk? And I say, oh, I was going to watch that golf tournament, so no. The day after that, she says, honey, I lined up a babysitter. Would you like to go have lunch with me? And I say, oh, I was going to change the oil in my car, so no, we can't do that today. Third day rolls around. Honey, would you like to sit on the couch and talk to me? No, I was going to do some, I was going to play some video games instead by myself with the door closed. (laughs) What would my wife be left to conclude in that scenario? Have my actions spoken louder than my words? Everybody's nodding, yes. I have not followed up in some reasonable way to show that I really do want to spend more time. Now, getting off of that illustration for just a moment, how would Christ communicate to us something that is really important to him? Well, number one, he would tell us, and he would tell us repeatedly. Number two, he would tell us why he wanted that to happen, and he would do so repeatedly. And number three, he would demonstrate by his actions that this is a very important thing that he wants to have communicated. And I want everybody to know that in these verses that we're going to study this morning, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He tells us something that is very important to him. He tells us why it's so important to him. And he demonstrates by his actions just how important that is. So, let's get in and read this passage one more time, and then we will pull out the parts, and then put it all together back at the end. Okay? Let's begin reading in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I think as we pull apart these these verses and look at them one by one, you'll see what Christ is doing here. Let's begin Ephesians 4, 7 with a little context. Okay, Now, in any Bible study endeavor, context is, Is extremely important. But this passage, the context is even more important. And the context here will help us understand exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. Here is how we need to understand this context. And in fact, what I'm going to suggest that you do is in the margin of your Bible, draw little brackets around the pertinent verses, with little descriptions out to the side. And that grouping together will help you remember how to read this in the future. Go back and look at verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a worthy manner of the calling which you have been called. And in verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us to walk in gentle unity. That's the command. That's the how. He says in verses 1 through 3, I want your church to walk worthily. And that worthy walk is a gentle unity. You want to walk in unity? You want to walk worthy? You want to live worthily of your calling? Put on gentle harmony and unity among yourselves. In verses 4 through 6, Paul tells us why. He tells us why gentle unity is worthy. Because of the oneness of God and the pattern that that fits. There's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so forth. Verses 4 through 6 are the why. So, verses 1 through 3 is the command to walk worthy in gentle unity. Verses 4 through 6 is the rationale. And then verses 7 through 16, he tells us how God wants to accomplish this unity among ourselves. He tells us, actually, in verses 7 through 16, he also gives us the purpose of this unity. Okay? He tells us that our our church, this church, Church at Ephesians and Fellowship Bible Church, the best picture for it is that of the human body. We are different parts that make up one body, and the goal of these different parts is coordinated strength. Okay, So write this down. Verses 1 through 3 is a worthy walk. Verses 4 through 6, why we walk in gentle unity. It fits God's pattern. To what end? Why do we walk in unity? Why does God put this pattern on for us? Verses 7 through 16, coordinated strength. God wants us strengthening each other so that the body is built up. Okay? Is everybody... I hope everybody understands where we're going. We're going to review this as we work through. And today, verses 7 through 10, Paul shows us how God equips us for this strength. Okay? I feel I did a poor job of explaining this, so let me try it one more time. You know, you always do it better your second shot, so let me just try this again. Verses 1 through 3, Paul says, walk worthily, here's how. In gentleness and in unity. You might say, Why, Paul? Why should we walk in unity? Why is that a worthy walk? And he says, Because it fits God's pattern. God is one. There's one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one birth. Then, Paul says, Now, I want you to know, in verses 7 through 16, this unity has a point, it has a goal. And what I want is for every person walking in unity to be built up by each other. That's the goal. That's the purpose for all of your building up. Now, how does God strengthen us to strengthen others? That's the question of today. How does God strengthen us to strengthen others? Hopefully, that will make a little more sense than the first time I explained it. How does God strengthen us to strengthen others? I have three points that we're gonna hit. Grace was given, uh, but grace was given. Our second point, um, I apparently didn't get the heading down. I didn't get the heading changed in my PowerPoint. I apologize for that. I'm looking at it now. I realize what happened. I forgot to save it and closed it, and didn't get the changes. But we'll get there in a second. Okay, but grace was given. I want us to notice very first, right? First word of verse 7, it says, but grace was given to each of us. But is sort of a slight contrast. It's an understated significance. I want us to remember, Paul has just been talking about our unity. He says, walk in unity, walk in harmony. There's one Lord, one faith, one birth but God has given each of us a gift. So right now, he's already starting to explain why we do see differences among ourselves. He says, to each of us. I want us to know that in Greek, though, the sentence begins with the word one, one of us. He's he's saying there is some diversity, but this diversity is in fitting with the pattern. God wants us to walk in unity. God wants us to walk in harmony because that fits his nature. Every one of us in uniformity has received a gift. That's sort of Paul's transition. We've been given a gift. And Paul is about to return to this picture that he's already introduced to us three different times. Back in chapter 1, verse 23, or 2, verse 16, or chapter 3, verse 6. Paul has told us that he pictures the local church as a human body. This is a diversity of interconnected parts, and this is God's way of accomplishing overall unity. This week, I started, I watched a few uh, YouTube videos of of a watchmaker. And it's fascinating how this man will break the watch apart. He doesn't break it apart. He takes it apart. All the different pieces, moving and coordination. All these little different teeth and gears and jewels and hands and timing and springs. It's, it's fascinating. All of them work together. Very different looking pieces. Skillfully put together. So this Instrument goes tick, tick, tick exactly when it's supposed to Now, God says that he has brought us into a body as interconnected and as complex as our human body. There are so many different parts of our body and they're all interconnected and they all serve a purpose. You take one of the parts out the rest of the body suffers and the apostle paul says we're the body of christ of course we don't all look like an eye or a mouth of course we don't all look like an ear these things look very different from each other in fact but they're all part of the same body and this is god's way of promoting unity unity through diversity this is how god champions it now god has told us that each one of us has been given a gift. And I want us to note that this gift that we've all received is emphatic. Okay, Look right here at verse 7. I want you to see that the Apostle Paul emphasizes this in three different ways. You might even want to underline them. A grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Those are three different words, grace, given, and gift. So three times in this one verse, Paul is emphasizing, and it's quite emphatic, that every one of us in here has received a gift. In fact, it's the word charis. It's a grace. This is our second point under this heading. It's a generous free gift in fact a grace a a, a a chorus is a we get the word charismatic from it it's an exceptional ability to promote God's purposes and everybody in here if they're in Christ without exception has one of those gifts every person in here if you're in Christ You have a grace. Three times, he tells us, given. Freely, by the measure of Christ's gift. Three times, you've been given. Now this week, I was thinking about it. I won't won't mention any names. But we're told in the book of Corinthians that there is a variety of gifts. And the Apostle Paul goes on to enumerate several different gifts. And as I was thinking about people in our body, I, I could think of a person who's exceptionally gifted at encouragement, always knows the right word to say, always knows the pick-me-up. There's a person who is gifted at giving, sees needs, Meets those needs. And I would say 99% of the time, nobody knows that this person has met that need with a gift. They're gifted at it. They don't try to notice needs and meet them, they just do. It's who they are. There's a person among us who is service oriented. They have a knack for seeing that a service needs to be done, and they fill that need. There are teachers in here who are exceptionally gifted at teaching, for example, children. Put them up in front of a huge convention of people, they stumble. Give them 35-year-olds, and they're dynamite. because God has gifted them. Christ has gifted them to do that. When God comes on somebody to wield this gift, in the exercise of it, God's people recognize it and know it immediately. Now, I would say, the majority of the time, when people say, the majority of the time, when I talk about giftedness to people, here's their answer. I, they say, "I, I, I guess I, I guess I would like to do this or that." I, I ask them, "Where do you feel you're gifted?" I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I guess I sort of enjoy this or that. Now, let's be very clear. A gift is different from a talent. We had a lady in our church. She's since moved out of state. She had a talent for making the most delicious pies you have ever eaten. I think she won our pie baking contest two years in a row. We used to do that. We haven't in a few years. Maybe we'll resurrect it. Who knows? That was an exceptionally good pie. She said, it's my gift. Well, it probably was, actually. But it wasn't her spiritual gift. This lady actually had a gift for encouraging people. I would say most of the time, the reason we're unable to identify what we're gifted at is a lack of exercise of doing them. it's kind of like this if you were if you were a, a basketball player and you wanted to go play pickup basketball before long you would realize what strengths you bring to your team before long your coach would realize what strengths you bring to your team and it may not be something that's evident right away you have to play it a little bit before you begin to realize oh i'm That's that's where I I can excel. And so putting yourself out there for the exercise of gifts, putting yourself into ministry and service and communication opportunities, not saying no to any opportunity that comes your way, but putting yourself out there and trying it, exercising these gifts, is what, allows you to discover where, in fact, you're gifted. But every one of you here, if you're in Christ, you have a gift. Number three, it's measured. Your gift is measured out by Christ himself. The word here is like a measuring cup or a measuring ruler. But I think actually the idea here is more like a measuring basket. Okay? This is a heaping amount of gifts. Christ says, you want this? Here. And he takes a big scoop in his basket and he hands it to you and that's your gift. And he takes a big scoop of this and he hands it to you and that's your gift. In other words, the idea here is on abundance. Jesus isn't sort of miserly partialing out his gifts in little crumbs and bits. He's heaping them on people and heaping this here and heaping this here. And Christ is... Richly distributing gifts. Furthermore, I want us to notice, let's look at verse 7. It says that we've eat each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Of Christ's gift. Now we have to click pause on that thought right there and ask ourselves a question. Why did Paul there say Christ and not Jesus? Why didn't he say these gifts are parceled out by Jesus? These gifts are measured out by Jesus? Would that have been accurate? Well, of course it would have been. Was Paul a man to throw away words meaninglessly? He's like, oh, I thought Christ just sounded better there. Is that it? No, no. The answer to why he uses Christ is in the coming verses. Okay? These gifts are measured out by Christ the Messiah himself. And Paul is about to tell us just how important these are to Christ. Okay? Let's keep reading. The mighty purposes of Christ's gifting. Paul says that each one of us has been given a gift by the Messiah himself. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Number one, the Christ, the Messiah, has some mighty purposes in giving you your gift. And the first purpose is this, to fulfill Old Testament Scripture. Paul here references Psalm 68. And I need you to write down two specific verses, verse 18 and verse 35. It's important to note that Paul is not quoting Psalm 68 word for word. What he's doing is he's taking different parts of the psalm and he's summarizing them together and he's using as much of the psalm's language is possible and he's summarizing that psalm in one sentence and he's giving it to us right here so it would be like this if after you get out of here and you go home and you have lunch and it's two o'clock and somebody asks you what did pastor Greg preach on today you would in a sentence or two summarize the sermon and you may not even get all the words exactly right but you could come up with an effective summary. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, read the 68th Psalm. And in this Psalm, the Lord has come and he's conquered his enemies. And he's marching downtown through the city. He's leading a host of vanquished foes in his path. And when he sits on his throne, he takes the abundance of the spoils he's just collected from the enemy. And he distributes it generously to his people. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul says has happened. It was predicted in Psalm 68. Christ came, he vanquished death, he leads behind people that he's captured for his own good purposes. He's got his own people, and now that he's sitting on his throne, he's parceling out, he's measuring out generously. Gifts at his will. Number two, Christ's gifting of you is as significant as his incarnation and death. Verse 9, look right here. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Now that's a that's a confusing way the apostle paul is speaking. There has been a lot of debate about these words the lower regions which is the earth. Okay? What that means exactly. I think it can mean one of two things. Now, not to get incredibly technical here, but ancient people Thought of lower and upper differently than we do. Okay? When they said the lower regions, what they meant was the ground, the earth, what you see. And, and the upper regions would be, could be one of, could be the sky, it could be outer space, the stars, you know, whatever. That, that's sort of how they talked. It could also be that the... So the Apostle Paul might be saying he came to earth, and this is his way of saying he came to earth. It could also mean by lower regions, it could also mean that he came and was lowered into the grave. And that's how I'm taking it. Now, you don't have to take it that way. That Christ came, as a man, to the earth. You could leave it simply there. Or you could take it to mean that Christ came to this earth and went all the way into the lower regions, similar to Romans chapter 6, and was lowered into the grave. Now here's the point that Paul is making. We can't lose sight of the point. This is very important for us to get. If in walking through the front door today, I gave you a multiple choice And said, What is most important to Christ? His incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his giving you of gifts. Draw a line or rank the things of most importance. How many of you coming into the door today would have said, his gifting of me, you would have had that last? Okay? What Paul is arguing here is that his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his giving you of gifts is of equal importance. Does that surprise you? His measuring out a gift to you is just as important to him as his death was. The Apostle Paul is going to go farther. Christ's gifting, number three, fulfills his ultimate purpose to fill all things. Right here in verse 10, he who descended, the one who came to the earth, the one who went into the grave, is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. His way, Of filling all things is to measure out to you a gift of powerful importance and to have you exercise that gift for the building up of his people. Thereby, bringing Christ into the fullness of all things. The way for us, Fellowship Bible Church, to see Christ fill all things in this valley is for us to turn inward, exercise our gifts for each other. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. When we take seriously Christ's giving, And we seek to exercise the gift that he's given. And we put that on equal importance with these other doctrinal matters. We build each other up in Christ. Well, That becomes a powerful thing in the hand of God Almighty. Okay? Let's... Transition now. Three points of meditation. Three points of meditation, and then we'll close. Number one, Christ has gifted you. Are you sitting in a green chair right now? (laughs) Am I gifted? Are you sitting in a green chair right now? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Yes. You are gifted. In fact, let me, let me put it this way, okay? Former pastor of mine. I love the man. He is, you, you put that man in a pulpit, it is profound power. Profound. Put a spreadsheet in front of him And it is not profound power, okay? He doesn't know the way up or down. We tend, my point is, we tend to put on a pedestal those with public gifts. But then when we get up next to them, we begin to realize that there are many areas where God has been just in his giving of gifts. Yes, he may have profoundly equipped them with an ability to speak, but when it comes to this or that or the other, he needs other of God's people to come and surround him, to prop him up so that he has that opportunity to speak. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a godly man, It just means there's other areas where his gifts are lacking. He needs other people to step in and fill that. Now, the important thing is this. You have a gift. In fact, you probably have more than one gift. The Messiah himself came to earth, and died and rose again and descended and will fulfill all things and he is concerned on that level of priority to give you a gift and see you exercise it and you say well I haven't been exercising it well Christ has given you a gift he wants you to use it? It's very important. Today. Number two: Christ wants us to know something very significant, and I just mentioned this. His gifting of you, his gifting you, is on the level of his incarnation, death, resurrection and ascension. Let's go back really quickly to the very opening question that I asked you. How would you communicate to your spouse that something was important to you? You would tell them. You would give them the reasons why. You would put it in context. And then you would act in such a way to demonstrate that this is really important to you. Let me give an example. I I actually talked with my wife about that this morning, okay? And we were talking through a scenario. And she said, what if I told you that it was really important to me that um, I get to have some time on my own to go and do this this thing? Let's pretend, she says, can I have some time alone to go and We'll say to go to a a, a conference for homeschool moms. We'll say that. She wants to go. And I kind of blow it off. I kind of dismiss it. A few days go by. She brings it up again. I blow it off, and I dismiss it. Now, guys, tell me how this would make you feel. A week later, you come home, and there's a babysitter sitting in your living room. And you say, oh, hello, what are you doing here? And the babysitter says, your wife said she was going down to the homeschool conference and this is her way of making time for it. How many of you guys would, that would be like a two by four right in the, right upside the head? For how many of you it would be like that? I see some hands. Yes. You would go, oh, I must have missed it. (laughs) Okay. How much more clear could Christ be that he has gifted you. That he puts it on this huge level of importance. And he wants to use you to fill all things. So go for it. Hear Christ loud and clear. Number three, Christ is a king who expects return on his investment. Christ is a king who expects return on his investments. If you're a person who has been withholding your gift from the people of Christ, that is something very serious, actually. And you need to ask yourself if you really are a child of God. Jesus tells a parable. He gave talents to three different people. One buried it and didn't give the king any return. And Jesus said that's because that person never actually knew me." Failing to exercise the gift that God has given is, believe it or not, Symptom of a very serious soul problem that I would encourage each of us to give consideration to. I would equate it to this perhaps. You develop a bad cough and you keep brushing it off, but the cough gets worse and then finally somebody comes along and says, you need to go see a doctor. That is really bad. It's gotten worse than you think. If you're a person who is not giving Christ the return on his gift to you, that's a serious issue that you really need to take to the Lord and ask the physician, the great physician, to heal you and to help you. But my guess is that there are very few of those in here today. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. Most of you, I would say, are in the category of, Pastor, I would love to exercise my gift, but I'm not exactly sure what my gift is. I'm not exactly sure what the body needs. I'm not exactly sure how to start doing that. Well, let's look ahead at verse 11 very quickly. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. we have three pastor teachers in here, me, Pastor Chris, and Pastor Dom. We all have wives, my wife, Elaine, and Megan. If you're in this category of saying, I would love to exercise my gifts. I believe I have one. I don't know what it is, but I want to be used of Christ this way. Come see one of these pastor teachers or their wives. And we'll direct you for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the saints. We never have a problem getting somebody serving that wants to serve. That's never a problem. And if that's you today, I would really encourage you. If you're like, hey, you know what? I know my gift. Well, brother, sister, go for it. (laughs) Just charge ahead. If you're saying, I, I would like to, but I, I need a little guidance, well, come seek out guidance, and we will help you. Because just as it's Christ's great goal and purpose to help you find your place in the body, so it's ours. Okay. Let's pray, and then we will sing a final song. And be dismissed. Father, help each of us now to consider the gifts and the callings that you've given us. Your gifts are unchangeable and they're without repentance. You shower us with service abilities, graces meant to fulfill your purposes. And I pray that each of us would seize the opportunity to make the most of your investment in us that with great joy we would build the body up unto unity as we exercise our individual gifts thank you lord that you don't want church to be something that we come and spectate it thank you that church isn't something that we watch from afar but it's a group of people And you've given us a unique place in this team of people, this body, to serve and to help and to guide, to love. Really, that's the key. Give us love for your Son, and give us love for each other. But we pray these things in Jesus' name.